Well, tonight we're going to be looking at Psalms 42 and 43, and I'm going to read them, and they really read like one psalm. In fact, there's a refrain that comes twice in Psalm 42 and then once in Psalm 43, and many commentators uh, kind of just bring those these two psalms together and, um, and see it as, as one psalm. Not sure how it was written originally, but there's certainly a theme that develops through throughout these two psalms, and we'll we'll hit on that. So let me read uh, Psalm 42, and then followed by Psalm 43. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, and from Mount Miser, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. <clears throat> We're looking at these two Psalms, 42 and 43, and the context of these Psalms is really interesting. We don't know exactly the circumstances of what's going on here, but we do know that, that the author of the Psalm, the poet, is feeling this deep longing for God's presence. And he associates God's presence, and I'm sure that has been his, his experience of God's presence, uh, with public worship, with worship at the temple. And because it's written um, by the sons of Korah, who were temple servants, they were, they were Levites, they were in the temple worship leaders, uh, it makes sense that for them, the most, uh, the most, you know, the best experience, the most intimate experience of God happened in the temple when sacrifices were offered, where God's people were gathered where God's people sang and read the scriptures. However, something happened, and, and some sort of enemy 
Maybe it's a foreign power, maybe it's some kind of treason in the court, who knows what was happening at the time, prevented them from being uh, at public worship at the temple. And so for them, this, this, this longing of, um, as, as a deer panting for water, uh, this panting of their souls uh, for God, is, is now is not being expressed and not being fulfilled because they're not able to, to go and worship with God's people. Now, of course, for us, we can relate to that. Many of us are really missing being at church, being able to worship with our brothers and sisters, being able to hear God's Word preached in the same room with the preacher and, and being able to share that experience with others. For many of us, uh, experience of singing together is very meaningful. Taking the Lord's Supper together, all those kinds of things that have now been taken away from us for a time, allow us to, to think about this longing to be in God's presence and specifically the privilege of, of public worship. Now, during this pandemic and the necessary restrictions that, that we have to abide, abide by, um, this is a good time to reflect on how important public worship is, how important it is to be at church together, that this is a benefit, this is a privilege. It's not a, it's not a duty, it's not, it's not uh, something burdensome. In fact, this is a great privilege and a time when a lot of us experience closeness with our God. But in the absence of that, what do we do? And this psalm helps us and it gives us three guidelines to follow uh, of things we can do while we are away from God's people, just like this poet was at the time. So number one, we can sing from the heart even in the absence of public worship. We can still sing from the heart. We don't have to sing only when we are all together. We can still sing now. Now remember, this is a psalm, uh, in two psalms here. These are songs written for God's people to sing. And it's important that uh, when we gather together and we, we sing songs together, this is an expression of our emotions. This is an expression of our faith, um, our description of who God is, our um, expression of what we think of Him and how we relate to Him. That's a really meaningful uh, thing. But that could all also happen privately or at home with your family. We can still sing and express how we're feeling and what we're going through to God. And in, in this case, uh, you, you can see that um, he talks about praising God with the lyre. This is 43.4. Um, there's, um, there's this hope that, that he will one day be with glad shouts and songs of praise in the multitude of people in, in verse 4 of, of 42. Um, now all of that is also in some way happening in his soul even as he's writing the psalm. Uh, and this is important that our emotions and what we're feeling need to be expressed uh, to God as we're feeling them. We've talked a lot about that actually going through the psalms, that the psalms uh, give us that, um, I would say not only a permission to do that, but, but in fact I think an imperative, a command to do that, that we are to sing to God, we are to express what we're feeling. So we are to express our thirst for God's presence. We need to be praying and singing to God that as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. We need to express our praise to Him. 
We need to also express our frustrations. Why have you forgotten me? Um, why are you not there, Lord? All those kinds of things are, are legitimate and appropriate to be um, expressions in, in our own prayer life and our own worship time with God. So that's number one. We are to, to sing from the heart, not to wait till we gather so we can express that, but we can express it even now. But secondly, we are to preach to the heart. We are to preach to our hearts. And, and if you look at the refrain that we see, and this is uh, in verse 5 and 11 of 42, and then in verse uh, 5 of uh, 43, then the refrain is, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now, who, who is he talking to here? He, he's talking to his own heart. He's talking to his own soul. So he's expressing what he's feeling. He's already expressed his uncertainty, his frustration, his doubts that God is there, that God maybe rejected him, God maybe forgotten him, that his enemies may be prevailing. He's being taunted by his enemies. Where is your God? And so he's, he's expressing all that to God. But then, doesn't stop there, then he speaks to himself, he speaks to his own heart. And instead of listening to his heart, he is preaching to his heart. Now this is probably a familiar theme, and we, we've talked several times about it, um, just in sermons and devotionals. This is such an important discipline of not just listening to your heart, but speaking to your heart. And you find that idea in uh, Martin Lowe Jones, he talks a lot about that in his book on, uh, on spiritual depression. Uh, in uh, Tim Keller, the, that theme uh, reoccurs a lot, and I'm actually going to quote from his book in a second here. But this idea that when we're feeling things and where our hearts are preaching to us and, and they're expressing all these things are welling up in us, we are to take that and turn that and now speak truth to our hearts. This is what we do when we read Scripture. We read the Bible and then we speak that truth to ourselves. It's interesting that um, this is not addressed uh, when, when the psalmist say, says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He's not talking to another person. He's not also talking to God, but he's talking to his own soul, to his own heart. He's talking to himself. And often our, our problem, as Marlo Jones points out, is that we um, are listening to our heart more than we are actually talking to our heart. Now let me quote from uh, uh, Timothy Keller here, and, and he, he calls it self-communion, uh, and he talks about this Psalm 42. He says, as the psalm proceeds, we see that the phrase, I will yet praise him, and this is in verses 5 and 11, and then in Psalm 43, verse 5, he says, this phrase, I will yet praise him, is not a mere prediction of change, but an active exercise. When we are discouraged, we listen to the fearful speculation of our, own, of our hearts. What if this happens? Maybe it's because of that. Here instead, we see the psalmist not merely listening to his troubled heart, but addressing it, taking his soul in hand, saying, Remember this, O soul. He reminds his heart of the loving things God has done, verses 6, 7, and 8, he also tells his heart that God is working within the troubles. The waves sweeping over him are your waves, in verse 7. The self-communion is a vital spiritual discipline. This is 
uh, what Timothy Keller says about the psalm. There's a vital spiritual discipline that is speaking to your own heart, self-communion, correcting your own soul, and speaking truth to what you're feeling. And then finally, so we sing from the heart, we preach to the heart, and then finally we keep our hearts hopeful. We are to keep our hearts hopeful. Uh, the refrain, again, is hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. There is, there is this confidence, uh, this hope that this deep longing for God's presence will be fulfilled. Now, certainly, you know, as we read in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 42, this will in part be fulfilled when, when he will yet, um, yet be able to worship with, in the temple with the others. So in verse 3 of 43, it says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. So there's an expectation that he will be able to worship, that he will join God's people um, in the temple, will be able to come to the altar and see the sacrifice and offer a sacrifice and experience God, his exceeding joy. However, that will that longing of panting for God as, as a deer pants for uh, for water will not be fully fulfilled in public worship. But in fact, public worship points to something else. So when we think about our hearts being troubled, our souls being in turmoil within us, we're struggling with our enemies and not able to express our love for God, not able to receive God's love experientially now, we look not only to the resolution of these particular troubles, but to the cosmic resolution of sin. And so we're actually looking forward to a time when Jesus returns, and when Jesus welcomes us into his presence, where our longings for his intimacy, for his love, will finally be and completely, perfectly be fulfilled. So this is our hope, and as we, as we experience these things that, that the psalmist writes about, we are to keep our hearts hopeful. Now, where does such hope come from? Such hope comes from, um, from this, this simple reality that not only is, is it that we want to praise God and we want to experience that intimacy with Him, but Christ himself longs to be with us. It's not one-sided. It's not just us looking forward to when all our enemies will be defeated and, and sin and death and all of that will be gone and finally we'll be able to be with Christ forever. But Christ is actually feeling the same way. Christ is longing to be with us. And so when we are struggling and feeling this thirst for him, he is feeling a thirst for us. I'm going to quote from Mark Jones uh, from his book, Knowing Christ. He says, Jesus, the Lord of glory, supremely satisfied in the love of the Father, Holy Spirit, and elect angels, remains unsatisfied if he cannot know, love, and ultimately be with his people. How can a good husband enjoy life apart from being together with his wife? So our hope comes not only from the fact that we long to be with Him, and we hope that someday that will happen, 
but because Christ wants to be with us, and He will absolutely one day be with us completely and fully, because the one who died and rose again will also come again and will also make all things new. Which is why the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, ends this way. Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. And we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.